Welcome to this week's Selk Grassroots Podcast, The Saturday Manager, brought to you by the Down to Play app. Searching for players? Searching for clubs? Find players and clubs near you right now on MatchHark. Playing football could never be easier. Download MatchHark on Google Play or visit our website at matchhark.com. Truly a great match. MatchHark. Keep it simple. Get down to play today. The UK's leading app for next game availability. Download Down to Play from the App Store and Google Play. Welcome to this week's episode of The Saturday Manager. I'm Mick Pusick, your host and manager of Bride and Ropes Reserves, who play Kent County Division 1 West. In this week's episode, we'll take a look back at our preparations and match against Welling Park. We have a great interview with South East Athletic First Team Manager, Martin Shirani. We'll run over all the classified results from the 4th of February for Kent County Division 1 West. We'll update you on the current standings in the league table and we'll take a look ahead at the forthcoming fixtures. Our last fixture was against Welling Park. They're currently second place in the division and going very well, very strong side. Um, We played them in our second game, which was way back early September. So it was very early in our rebuild. Um, They were a very strong team indeed. And I think that result ended 5-0. And as I recall way back then, I think it was a very quick start for them. We were probably 3 or 4-0 down in the first half hour. And in the second half, even though we settled a little bit, I think they were very comfortable and managed to keep us at arm's length for the, for the whole of the game. So we're all really looking forward to this fixture because it's probably about five months since that game has gone past now and we've been rebuilding the squad and working with the players uh, over the months. So these are the games where we can really benchmark ourselves to see how much improvement we've made between the first game in September and the second match away uh, in February. So we were very excited for this one. So on training on the Wednesday night over at Meridian Sports, we had a really good turnout. I think we had about 18 of the uh, squad available and all ready for training. The first team had a match, so we had the whole pitch to ourselves. So it was a really good opportunity for us to set up and work on all the things that we thought we needed to look at for this particular game, taking on board all the lessons we'd learned from the first game. So most of the focus was on our defensive shape, um, how we wanted to play out the back. We really wanted to try and work on playing through the thirds and keeping possession as much as possible. Um, our head coach, Stuart Biggs, done an excellent job, um, came up with a really good session. And at the end of it, we all went away feeling very well prepared and very much looking forward to the game on the Saturday. So moving ahead to Saturday, match day on the 4th February. Uh, kickoffs have gone back 45 minutes due to the longer days. So we've moved from a 2pm to a 2.45 kickoff. Uh, we had a 1.30 meet. Um, most of the lads were there very early and most everyone was on time. Um, we had a really good warm-up session. The lads went out about 2 o'clock, warmed up from 2 to half 2, got all stretched nice and warm, ready for the game back in the dressing room for 2.30. Um, We had a quick team talk. The focus on the team talk really was, you know, to learn the lessons from the last game. Um, They are very quick starters, Welling. They've got good threat all over. If you look at their goal stats, you know, they're a very free-scoring team 
and the goal threats really spread throughout the team. So there's not one individual that you can look on. So everybody's got to be alert and understand their job. So when the whistle goes, everybody's ready and we can have a fast start and really try and put them on the back foot from the opening whistle. That was the hope. Um, So as the game started off, we had very good possession in the first couple of minutes. We, We managed to get up, get a corner, I think, in the first two or three minutes. It all looked good. Then there was one um, long ball down, which went out for a corner. Um, we're still within the first five minutes. Very, from the corner, our defenders come off the near post to try and engage a player. Um, they have very good movement in the box. So I think looking back on it, one of their players was starting off around the penalty spot and made a run to the near post, which wasn't tracked. That caused our defender on the post to have to come off to engage with them, but they didn't quite get there in time. So frustratingly, from our point of view, the striker's done very well. He's managed to turn and he's, he's rolled the ball in the near post. So from a coaching point of view, you know, you could look at it as very disappointing. We're four minutes into the game. We've conceded from a set piece. We've conceded at the near post on the corner. So, you know, overall, we weren't very happy. But it's very important not to get too kind of disheartened that early in a game because things can happen. So the message very much was to the lads, you know, calm down, the cliche, it's nil-nil, wipe that away, let's get back to playing our game again. So again, a couple, couple of good pieces of possession. Um, we get another corner, it goes out of play for a goal kick. Um, they take the ball forward as they kick it up. Our defender engages with their player and kind of, it is a foul, so the player goes down, it's just inside our half of play. Um Rather than getting back into shape, um, defenders decide to have a moan at the referee over the decision. And while they're doing that, quite rightly, um, Welling Park have used that time. They've took the free kick quickly and played it into an area where our defender should be. But actually, he's 15 yards out of position, still talking to the referee. So they've took the opportunity. They broke really quickly. Um, Shot goes in at one side of the goal. Keeper parries to the other. Um, They follow up and uh, it's a good finish um, for Welling Park. So from our team talk, focusing on getting through the first 15 minutes, building our way into the game, um, we're 2-0 down and we're only under 10 minutes into the game. So it's a very good start from a Welling point of view, but obviously very disappointing um, start from our side of things, particularly with both goals really, you know, from a coaching point of view, they're not great goals. You, you don't want to concede from set pieces, um, corners particularly. And, you know, through um, lack of fault, we've managed to concede twice from a set piece and really put ourselves at a disadvantage. And, and it's, a, it's a hard game when you're playing a team that's um, second in division and going really well. You really don't want to be chasing it um, after 10 minutes. So we knew we had a lot to do. Um Roll on for the next sort of 15, 20 minutes. We, funny enough, after those goals, we settled down well. And we're playing really good football. Um, the possessions r- looks really good. We're, we're moving the ball nicely. We're pinging it around, passing through the thirds, um, creating a few opportunities. Welling, obviously, still a threat. Very quick, very quick on the transition. Um, they're well-drilled side. You know, they all know each other's game. They, they know where to put the ball, where the runner's going to be how they want it and um if you if you if you switch off for one minute they'll 
they'll absolutely be at the other end and having a shot. So we had to be on our guard the whole time. But we did build into the game. We created some really big chances. We had a, a really great opportunity where the ball was whipped in. Our player met the ball um, just in front of the goal. And it was one of those where if it kind of hits your shin, your knee or your, or your hip, it's going to fly in. Um, but unfortunately for us, the striker, the forward made a really good connection with it, with the boot. And it went inches over. It was a really good strike, but he, he, he just hit it too sweetly from where he was. So we come in at half time. Um, we're still 2-0 down. So I've talked to the guys and said, look, you know, other than 10 minutes, we've been really good. We've been a match. We've been competitive. And we've created enough chances to, to score a couple of goals ourselves. So very much the instruction was, you know, carry on where you left off from the last half hour. We had a very strong bench again, so we decided to make a couple of substitutions just to get some fresh legs on and get a bit more energy in the team. Um, the second half kicked off. We started very well, a lot of possession. And I think, to be fair, it felt like we were well in the game, even though it sounds odd we're 2-0 down. Watching the play and the pattern of the game, it felt like there was something for us in the game still. Um, the players certainly believed that, and I was really pleased because at 2-0 down, um, sometimes you can slip into old habits and, and, and make mistakes and your heads can go down a bit. But absolutely, every single player, their head was up. They were really intense. They were really focused on you know getting back into the game as best we could. Um, 60 minutes, I think 65 minutes, we get a free kick on the left wing. Um, we've got our left winger over there, John. All the players are in the box. It's kind of 25 yards, I'd say, from the box. Set up on a nice diagonal uh, to go in. Uh, absolute amazing delivery from John. He's put curl on it. He's literally put it on a plate for our striker. Um, Pat's, uh, Pat Ward's come in, jumped up, out-jumped the whole, all the defenders and just headed it straight through into the goal from about eight yards out. Uh, just a little credit to the referee, um, as can happen with games, the header went in, the goal was good, the linesman hadn't flagged until the players had all asked for the offside. So there was a bit of a delay between the goal going in, the players all moaning for offside, the flag going up, the referee was very well positioned, could see our player was onside and gave the goal. Now, I'll just give him credit for that because so often you can find in these games that referees will just go with the linesman's decision and it's important to note that at this level the linesmen aren't um, officials we don't have free um, match officials so the linesman will be a substitute or something like that so it's very good that the ref was in a good put himself in the position to be able to make that decision because it was a massive goal for us and in the past we've scored goals like that and they have been struck off sometimes fairly sometimes unfairly so uh, 60 odd minutes into the game um, we're back in at 2-1. We've played really well for the last 40 minutes or at the end of the second half, first half, the start of the second half. We've worked our way into the game and things are looking really positive. From their kickoff, um, within a minute, the ball looks like it's going out to, the, to a throw or maybe their players just caught the ball. Um, one of our players has just took a nick on him and we've given a free kick away. So within... Two minutes of going ahead, free kick in a dangerous position on the edge of the box. Um, the ball gets crossed in, pretty much a mirror image of our free kick, really. It was the right side, similar distance, similar angle. 
Um, they whip in a really good ball. It beats our defenders, and their forward gets to the to the ball really well. Makes a really good strike. Our keeper makes a, an absolute immense save. I mean, from six yards out, it's a really big block for him. So you know he couldn't have done any more with it from that distance. Um, the parry's gone out. Their players have reacted quicker, um, followed up, and uh, tucked it away. So from battling hard for forty minutes and being in the game and reducing all the chances at our end, we finally get the goal to 2-1. And then within two minutes, we're back to a two-goal deficit at 3-1 down. Um, So we've only probably 25 minutes left on the clock and two goals to make up. We're having to look at our shape and what can we do to give ourselves more options to to get the goals that we need. So we changed shape to a 3-5-2 so that we could get two strikers on be a bit more offensive and really try and push the wing-backs up to make it a 3-5-2 rather than a 5-3-2, flood the midfield and try and get another opportunity. Um, the change of shape worked really well. I think we kept the ball. It didn't It didn't interrupt our flow at all. Um, we then went back to how we were before, holding the ball well, making good movements, um, creating shots and chances. Um, so... So the reaction from the lads was really first class from going back to a two-goal deficit. Their heads came, you know, the heads didn't go and we kept playing our game. Um, we managed to get a corner, I think, on about the 85th, 83rd minute maybe. Um, lovely cross in. Our centre-back, Matt's made a run into the back of the box and the ball's managed to find its way to him. Um, so he's now, with his back to goal, running away from the goal in the box to try and get the ball under possession properly. He's kind of running towards the corner direction. Their player comes out a bit too eager to uh, win the ball back and has just come through the back of his heel and uh, Matt goes over um, quite rightly and the ref gives a penalty. Um, We have um, Pat, who scored the first goal, steps up. I think Pat may know the goalkeeper, so I'm not sure if he if he's that familiar with his uh, penalty take. So I won't give anything away just in case we have more penalties later on. But suffice to say, um, our striker likes to shoot a certain way and uh, we put the ball down, head up, give him the eyes and runs up and strikes it the opposite way than he normally does. And, and the keeper dives the wrong way. So I think the keeper maybe um, knew a bit too much and... Uh, Fair play to Pat. He, he used that to his advantage and stuck it away um, with uh, real venom. So we're back to 3-2. Um, there's about five minutes left of the 90. And from there, you know, our tails are up. Um, I think Wellin would agree, you know, for that time, they're, they're on the back foot now um, and just trying to hold on to what they've got. Um, we continue to push and attack. Um, the referee plays another five minutes of injury time where we create one or two more opportunities. But full-time, um, the game finishes 3-2. Um, so our overall feelings at the time was, you know, we are disappointed because we felt that the goals, particularly the first, you know, all the goals really, they've all come from set pieces, um, from re- not reacting quickly to a free kick not picking up properly in the box from a corner. Again, the third goal was a free kick. But, you know, all credit to Wellin. They're, they're a very good team and, and they really did, um, you know, have that uh, emphasis when the ball's in the box. They're very aggressive and any loose balls or anything like that, 
you know, you've really got to be switched on or they will get there and, and they've got the quality. So when they're hitting these balls, you know, they're they're going in. So I think looking at that, we, we kind of came away a little disappointed that we didn't get more out of the game. But from a performance and measuring from where we were before to where we were now, um, you know, a 5-0 game where we were never in it to a 3-2 game where we felt actually, you know, we wouldn't we wouldn't have been uh, undeserved if we walked away with a point. Um, we use VO to record our games, and sometimes when you're watching the match from the from the sidelines as a coach, you can be a bit rose tinted glass and think you've done better than you have in certain areas. But our VO, we've got the analytics on it, and you know it was very clear to us that as well as the chances, we had you know better possession. I think we had 58% possession um, goal attempts. I think we led 18 to 13. Um, completed passes, we led by about 160 to 130. So the stats were that we played a good game. Um, from a finishing point of view, having the more chances, maybe we needed to be a bit more ruthless um, and take some more of our chances. But certainly from a match, we can now say that, you know, that's the standard. We're playing one of the top two teams in the division and we're giving them a very good game. So going forwards in the next next matches coming up, we really want to use that as our minimum standard and only go up from there and if we can do that I'm really confident that we'll end the season with a few more wins on the table so that's how our last fixture went and coming up now I'll be speaking with Martin Sharani who's South East Athletic first team manager we're now welcome to the show South East Athletic First Team Manager, Martin Sharani. Martin, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hello, hi, Mick. I'm very well, thank you. Hope you are too. Very good. And special thanks for joining us today because I understand you're on holiday at the moment. So yeah, that's right. really appreciate your time coming in to speak to us this week. So just to start off the conversation, then, I guess, um, I'm sure a lot of people would be interested in how you first started off in coaching. So what drew you in and how did it all begin for you, Martin? Yeah, well, it's um, it's curious story. Actually, it started with a, with a slightly negative thing. So I moved to the UK practically and I started playing um, nine-a-side games on, on meetup.com where I could find some expats playing here and there. Mm-hmm. And I think on one of these five-a-sides, I, I managed, to, uh, managed to tear my ACL and meniscus and everything on my left leg. So at that point, I was already contemplating going into coaching eventually. But that mm-hmm. was practically the final straw. And I said, okay, this is it. I'm probably probably going to hang up the boots, not play mm-hmm. anymore. And I'm just going to do our coaching badges. Because mm-hmm. um, as far as the UK education educational prog- program of the FA goes, I think it's, it's, it's by far one of the best. And obviously, you know, evidently, it's one of the best in the world. Mm-hmm. So I thought I'm at the perfect place. I have some time on my hands some since I'm in bed with with my with my leg anyway so I might as well start it and um and I applied for the Kent uh, through the Kent FA to um what was then known as the level 1 level 1 badge which was about four weekends I think so four Saturdays and Sundays full time yeah, it's about thirty uh, hours of, of training, isn't it, roughly over the Yeah, over the yeah, about that. I think the level two was was with in situ and and more of an on pitch, um, more of an on pitch delivery, and and some some additional project that uh, you had to make up as well. So I did that through the Cantafe uh, once I got into coaching, 
with my level one badge, I started with with under tens. So it was Eltham mm-hmm. Town Youth, a, a very nice, very great, great line club, family yeah, club yeah, near yeah, near me. Very good, very good people there, Eltham. So exactly. from a really bad situation, you know, not good at all, having such a severe injury, you know, which unfortunately happens, and it tends to happen a lot more on Astro nowadays as well. I think people yeah. get caught out on it a bit more than they do on the grass, perhaps. But you've turned that into a positive. Um, you decided you've not you're not finished with football, and you're going to look into you know how to get qualified and start your coaching career off. So that's really good to hear because some people can just go the other way. You know that's it. I'm finished. I'm going to yeah. put my energies elsewhere. So you've done your coaching, your level one coaching course now. So when about was that? How long ago was that, Martin? So I think that was um, it must have been about five years, five or six years, I think. Brilliant. Quite quite a while ago. Um, due to this COVID situation, I think a couple of years that just fell out of my memory. But it was it was about five years ago, yeah. uh, and then straight after I went into my level two level two badge when when I started coaching this under ten team. Uh-huh. Um, so I tried to try to do that. I did that through the Kent FA, and then I wanted to go into adult uh, coaching as much mm-hmm. as possible because obviously, in order to progress, in order to apply to a UFAB badge, you you do need to um you do need to coach at a higher level. Yeah, uh, to be absolutely. considered. They so like that was my main They like you to play coach senior football, don't they, in 11 aside. That's right. Yeah. And it's quite interesting what you say there as well about the quality of the coaching and, and the training available for coaches rather in the UK. It is very good. You know, the FA do have these courses set up um, to get you through your level one and your level two quite quickly, mm-hmm. really. There's no real restrictions. Yeah. You can pick a course. They're, they're running pretty much every quarter. But what you find, I found anyway, um, I know um, my assistant Stuart's done his UA for B um, or whatever they call it now, level three. They change the titles of them all the time. But that's where the bottleneck begins, doesn't it, really, from a co- yeah. from a training point of view. I think, if I remember rightly, talking to Stuart, London FA were only able to, to manage about 30 or 40 UA for B um, candidates a year. So yeah. from having thousands of coaches that really want to get up and train, you know, um, at a higher level and coach at the best standards, maybe that's something the FA need to look at and address, you know. I 100% agree. Yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult to get in because it takes 18 months. And as a, as a you know, as a contrast, I think even, even at the Scottish FA or the Welsh FA, it takes much less time. So they can go through, um, you know, they they can. There, there are multiple people who can apply. They mm. can take in a cohort of of larger people per per year. Mm. In Spain, I think the the amount of UFB coaches is probably three times as the UK, or maybe even four times, because simply it doesn't take that long. So instead of 18, 18 months, the same UFB course takes about four months in in yeah. Spain or something like that. Yeah. So evidently, they 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 get through a lot more people. For now, to apply to a UFB, I try and try again, but um, it, it is going to take long. It, it takes long to get yeah. on. So and I've even heard stories, like you say, because of that, I've even heard stories of, of people almost becoming, you know, UFB kind of um, travellers and booking courses in other countries yeah. and doing it just to get around. So it's definitely something that does need to be looked at, you know, because it's, it's our number one sport. There's lots of appetite for it. So I think whatever the bottlenecks are with the FA, you know, we, we want more more coaches at the best level they can be. So we've, we've got to make it easier and quicker for play, for coaches to get to that standard. So, so you did your level one. You've gone straight in. So at the moment, then, back to where you are, you're, you're 
currently taking your level two, going back five years, and you've just started coaching a, a youth team, Elton Town under 10s. Is that right? Yes. So your first season there, are you doing yeah. it all on your own? Are you like super coach <laughs> running around with the bags of cones and everything? Or yes, some, some help there? I, I, I can feel <laughs> where you're going because I've been in that position at the beginning of my career. Yeah, yeah, it was it was fun uh, looking back at it because obviously it's it's um, when I think when somebody starts out coaching, they have an expectation to be sort of like Arteta on these YouTube videos or Sean Dice or something like that, and when. You get around ten, you know, nine years old, nine year olds, and and you realize that their attention span is, you know, about nine seconds, uh, <laughs> not much, not much less than than adult footballer probably, but uh, but still, it's 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 way way less, and you have to have a completely different approach, and yeah. um, and just change change whatever you you want you thought about coaching, and and make sure that you try to get your point across and try to herd cats practically. On each training session, it's an eye opener, but it's it's very very rewarding. So looking back at it, I think you know how um, how young people, how kids can can how happy they can be when they score a goal, when they when they win. It's just um, it's just something that is not there in adult football. Sometimes in adult football, you know as well as I do that it's going through the motions a little bit. It's more anxiety. It's more pressure. Mm-hmm. Whereas kids, they just they just want to have the moment, and and it's uh, therefore it's very very rewarding. So we had a good season. I honestly I don't remember where we where we finished on the table. We definitely were about mid table or something like that. We didn't have a we didn't have a great team, but it was it was good, uh, really good, um, really good cohort of kids, really good group, and um, and and we practically learned, learned together. So they learned yeah, to play football, and I, mean, I learned to coach. And you're spot on there, you know, it's about the pure joy you get from the players. And it has absolutely nothing to do, you know, at that age. It's it's really about developing players and enjoying the game, isn't it? That's what it's about yeah. at that age. So then moving on then into from from Elton, where, where did your coaching yeah. journey take you next? So because um, because I wanted to go into UFB, I wanted to um, uh, step up and, and uh, coach older kids or, or adults preferably. And then I ended up... Um, at a Velling United um, Academies team. So that was a under-15 team, I think, mm-hmm. first. I coached them for a bit, but that was only a couple of months. And uh, then I had to leave from there and I took over a, a Junior Reds team that was mm-hmm. under-14s. Mm-hmm. Um, I finished the season with the Junior Reds um, team. Uh, they were also they were also a great great group of kids very very good to be around I, I i got a glimpse of what it is to coach teenagers so obviously they have different different issues different things are important for them as mm-hmm. as as nine-year-olds a little bit more competitive it becomes to be etc and that was also a very very good experience i think i, I learned a lot from that season really even good, though it was only one really season good like long, local club junior reds aren't they they're well run yes. i think they're chelton affiliated is it yeah. Five Shivers, their their kind of chairman over there that runs it all, do some really yeah, great work. Lots right. of teams and give lots of footballing opportunities to youngsters, particularly boys, but also a lot of uh, female teams coming through now as well. Yeah. And I've seen they've had some success there. So they really are the sort of the earth clubs, those you know, the ones that bring players in and develop them. Hopefully, you know, if they they so wish at a later date to move up into senior football. So yeah. you know, those sorts of clubs are, are so important to the grassroots game in general. So you moved on from Junior Reds. Um, where did you end up next? 
Yeah, so next it was uh, Southeast Athletic uh, for me. So that was when during the summer, I think, it was a couple of years, so before COVID, so that must have been 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of one of the coaches I knew from, from a Facebook group, practically, uh, I'm not even sure how we got to be friends, but um, Aaron McCaw is, is pads, known as pads, and currently in Rochester. And he reached out to me that they were looking for a um, coach to join their setup at, uh, at Southeast Athletic because it was um, uh, it was practically him and with another manager uh, joint, uh, jointly managing the team. Uh, Ash and Pads, they, they together managed the team and I joined as a coach. Obviously, I, I jumped at the opportunity because it was adult football and I and I like to be on the grass. I like to design training sessions and the like. So I'm, I, I wasn't keen on just just taking a manager position. It was perfectly fine for me to do to be a coach and learn the ropes that way. So I joined them uh, in that year. Um, we started, you know, I started with designing the training session, re- being responsible for everything that a coach is responsible for. And then, um, you know, obviously COVID hit. Uh, the, the season cut short, got cut short. Yeah. Uh, and at the end of the season, Ash and Pads, they both left the team. So I was made practically caretaker manager, so to say, for the season. Together with the um, together with the chairman of the um, of Southeast Athletic Pod, who is who is uh, who is also a stalwart you know supporter and and um, old run guy at Southeast Athletic uh, and a great great lad and together we took the team practically he was playing as well I wasn't playing I was I was just managing managing the team uh, for the whole of last season and then going into this season as well. Season then running into you it was. It was a fairly solid season, considering you've come out of COVID, you've lost, you know, the the managers have gone. And as I, I think I mentioned with, in my last conversation um, last week, and likewise with my team, is when managers go, often a lot of the players go as well. So not all, always the case, but generally speaking, managers bring in their, their favourites. And when they go, they, you know, a lot of them will go with them too. So taking that on board... How did last? How did you find last season? Your first season coaching, probably a little bit of a rebuild to do, maybe, and you know, senior football, a very good standard in Division One as well. Uh, how how did that start, and how did how how did you get on with that? How did you enjoy it? Yeah, it it, it was good. I, I I enjoyed it. It was again my first um, sort of full season as as manager of an adult team. Mm-hmm. Um, it was good. Yes. Yeah, so with Ash and Pants leaving, some of the players left that they brought in. Um, some of the really old timers at at Southeast Athletic, some great great players, uh, obviously remained. Um, there are some players at Southeast who are with the with the club for a long long time, for years and years, and um, and really they are very experienced players. So they helped carry the team a lot. Uh, yeah. We had a full set of we've had a full squad uh, almost for the whole season. We brought in a couple of guys during the summer through trials. And um, yeah, you know, just just coming to trial with the club, and we thought that they are they they could be able to, could help us. Mm-hmm. And uh, finally, we finished. Um, you know, we didn't we didn't uh, get relegated from Division One. As we say, it's a pretty good standard. Yeah. Some of the teams, or most of the teams, I think in Division One are very uh, battle hardened. Um, you know, uh, there are years they have been playing together for years and years. Yeah. Uh, quite quite much older than our team was, I think, yeah. even considering the average age. So it was a good experience. I, I wouldn't say it was easy, but um, I always think that with with these hard times, there is a lot of learning opportunity for me. So um, 
from from Absolutely. that perspective, I didn't mind it. it. It was it was a hard and it was a difficult season, but we managed to get through it. Yeah, you got through it well. I mean, you know, with the background of how it started, and you know, with the with the squad and the changes you had to bring in, you're looking at the table there. You know, relegation was 13 points last season. You finished on 28, so well clear of it. A good tally. Um, bringing in new players, you know, blooding young players, getting people ready for your development. And I, I 100% agree with you. You know, I, I'm looking at um, Division 1 this season. And that is one of the things that you do find is that the teams have played together for many years. When you're playing lower down in maybe district football or even at the beginning of the Kent Leagues, the teams, the players are a bit younger. They're all in, the, they're 18, they're 20, 21, 22 you get to Division One and you're playing teams like, um, you know, Bexleys and Metricasses and Sporting Club Thamesmeads, Club Langleys, and they're all in their mid-20s to 30s. They've played together three or four, five, six years. They're all bonded. They, 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 that's a, quite a big difference. And when you're playing against teams that have had that time to learn and, and get that cohesion together, coming at it with a newer team, it does put you on a little bit of a disadvantage for that first period, doesn't it? Yeah, and and also, for example, I think uh, uh, what disadvantage I had is obviously I I had no network, so to say. Mm-hmm. So previously I was oh sorry yes I missed this this spot. I was at um, I was coaching at Greenwich Borough as well before mm-hmm. before they went under. So that was um, that was well before the youth teams, and uh, and that was just for a season. They practically at first I started with their under 23s team. Uh, they were an Isthmian development team, and then mm-hmm. with first team as just as a caretaker manager for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. So I knew a couple of players there, but obviously those players, for example, they went on to play higher level or or uh, when or, or moved out somewhere. Some of the players were traveling mm-hmm. all the way down to Greenwich from Wembley, from Tottenham, etc. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't very feasible for them to continue. And obviously, the, you know, as a club that under the, se- the season after that was there was nowhere for them to go. But I didn't have a lot of lot of network. I don't really have. I didn't know players to bring yeah. into Southeast Athletic. That was that was something that was missing um, for me. So I had to rely on 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 the trialists. And uh, you know, as as trial as far as trialists go, sometimes you get the chance to see them a couple of times. And if you think that they are good enough, then they then you manage to sign them. But if they turn out not to be committed to the team or not to be committed to the club, then that only you know that only comes up comes out later in the season which then can be can put you in a disadvantage and maybe you have to change things so we had a lot of squad changes during that season so considering that yes i think it's it's a good finish on the table uh it's a good point tally especially considering with the other teams having all all of these established uh, established players at their disposal but the club itself was very supportive as well so obviously it, it couldn't have happened without southeast athletic it's a very um, nicely run club, a family club, and and all about they are all about the culture and making sure that um, that there are good guys playing for the club, really. So um, it's that a was very, very thankful. It's, it's a very it's a very well well run club. You've got lots of good people there yeah. in the background to do it, and so much so, you know, you were touching on earlier about calling on players, old players, and that. And you know, I know the, the team's been running for a few years now. And always a good sign of a well-run team, in my opinion, is like when you start seeing the vets teams coming out. The players, well, they want to stay with the club. They don't want to go elsewhere. They're getting, you know, the legs are getting a little bit older, maybe. But you get a vets team, and then you see a second vets team, and then you think, well, okay, there's there's a really good, you know, a good family feel there. So that's something I've certainly noticed in my encounters with your club. So no, too right on that. 
So thanks for bringing us up. So we're up, kind of coming up to date up to the end of last season now. So just to move on a little tangent, um, just something that's interested me for a, a team in, in South East London, looking on, um, you know, following you guys on Twitter, as I do with all the clubs and, and teams in the division and around us. You seem to have quite a lot of following from Spain. I'm seeing hundreds and hundreds of likes and retweets and I've got my Google Translate out. What are they saying? What are they saying? So what's that all about, Martin? How, how yeah. that, what's happening there? Not just Spain, but in fact, the Basque country. So what happened um, with Southeast Athletic is that at the beginning, when the club was created, um, they designed a badge, which was arguably very, very similar to the Osasuna badge. Mm-hmm. So Osasuna is obviously a La Liga team. They are well established. Every now and then they go down to the second division, but they are now in the first division, uh, obviously, and doing quite well, actually, this season. And uh, this badge was very, very close to Osasuna. It's nothing colours, but how it how it looks like. This is our really old badge at Southeast Athletic. Purely coincidentally. any, any uh, Yes, you, know, you could say, you could say purely, purely, purely coincidence or yeah. a little bit deliberately. But regardless, the badge was very, very similar to that. So this was picked up by a couple of fans online, uh, which are fans from Osasuna. So they started liking our page. They started following us on Twitter. Uh, you know, they were uh, they were practically supporting us from, from far. Yeah. And then what happened was Osasuna, we received a letter from, from Osasuna, the club itself, asking um, asking the club, asking Southeast Athletic, obviously, to stop using the badge, please, because it's, um, it's their um, um, property. Right. And yeah, we can't really yeah. use it. So as as you would. So obviously we had to change the badge. However, this little incident, as it happens, uh, just uh, encouraged more Osasuna supporters to stand behind us. And they said that well, practically Osasuna shouldn't be treating us uh, this way. It is uh, we are we are a brother club to them, and we wear their badge, and obviously they are proud of it. So they started following us even more. And now I think we have about. 3,400, 3,500 followers almost on Twitter. Most of it comes from, from Osasuna supporters from, from overseas, Osasuna fan accounts, Osasuna individuals uh, from Pamplona and, and, and near about. So, um, so there's a lot, lot of, lot of love for us on, on social media. And, and from, from here, we are very grateful for these fans because they are very encouraging. Every now and then, for example, I think we had a cup game just recently where we lost, uh, I think it was 10-1 even against Tender Ten Town. And and afterwards, I think we had about, I don't know, more than 10, 11, 12, 13 comments on, on Twitter from Osasuna fans saying, yeah, heads up, chin up, guys, let's go. We go again next week. Not a problem. Uh, we support you. Well done anyway, blah, blah. So they are obviously following our progress yeah. <laughs> on, on Twitter and all social media, which is which is great to see. Exactly. It's great to have. Playing a game once at, at the ground, and I think there might have even been like a, a camera crew there or something. Some some reporters there from Spain doing interviews and things like that. If I remember rightly, now I know obviously what the story is behind that. So one of the few clubs in London probably to have more more online support out of the UK than than inside it. Really great story. Brilliant. Okay, yes. so. Moving yeah. on, then. Let, let's let's um, move on towards you know bring things up to date a bit further. Then, so you've had your um, season finished there. The new season started quite early. I think it was like mid August this year, wasn't it? Everyone had a we start yeah. we, we started on um, 
on a Tuesday or Wednesday, I think it was like a midweek game. Is that how you started off midweek or did you wait to the weekend? Yeah, I think so as well. Yeah, I think I think so as well. If I remember correctly, I think a couple of us were, were away on holiday, but um, but I think it was it was supposed to start on a midweek. Uh, yeah, it, it started quite early. Yeah, as as you would. I'm I'm not very good at keeping keeping all this in in my memory, but I know that we had a, a shorter preseason. Even though we started earlier, we had a shorter preseason. It felt like a shorter preseason than I would have liked. Yeah. But then, obviously, there is a balance between players being away on holiday, etc., and trying to get everybody together. So yeah. we tried to do what we could, but um, yeah, it, we could have used another two weeks um, of preparation. Mm-hmm. So how how's the season starting for you? I know it, looking at the tables, it's not been the. I'm sure it's not the the start that you would have wanted. Yeah, how, your your team Yeah, definitely not. Yeah. So what what happened was that after last season, there were a couple of experienced players, obviously, who were who were playing in the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, a good part of them. Uh, well, either hung up their boots, moved f- further away, so cannot really play football anymore, or, or not with not with us, or moved into our Sunday team because they they much prefer play Sundays from now on, and they would like to give chance to to the younger uh, younger uh, players who we have in the squad to step up and practically fill that fill that squad, mm-hmm. uh, which is what we were trying to do. So during the summer, we tried to recruit young players. Uh, which was there was there was a lot of lot from them. So I think we have one of the probably one of the youngest squads I think in 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 the um, in the Division One. Definitely, we have various 17, 18, 19, 20 year olds, and and I think maybe two players above thirty. But that's it. Mm-hmm. Other than that, everybody is pretty young. We have some we have some players who are playing with the Belling United Academy and then play men's football because they want to start with men's football now. We have a couple of players who are simply playing. They all they only played with their schools before, and now this is their first season in men's football. So obviously that shows the lack of experience is is, is something that you cannot really cannot really um, make up for too much. You've got, have, you've got to go through it. You've got to learn earn it. Like exactly with the time on the pitch. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So right now we are in the process of of a rebuild, which is. Arguably more difficult than I imagined from from certain aspects, which is the results, obviously, that they are not coming. However, from the gaming side, from the playing side and from the culture side, it is it is even better than last season and the season before. These guys are very well together. They are they they are a really a group of people who came together, got to know each other, and now there is much more uh, chemistry between them than we had between the squad uh, last season or season before. Even when we go through um, go through results, which we really, really dislike, and obviously we come up with a heavy loss or something like that, these guys just have each other's backs. They try to get better. Uh, they give us uh, their full attention on training. We try now, you know, we, we see the way we play. We try to try to keep to that as much as possible and just said to the guys, look, what we're going through this season is this rebuild. We want to establish our philosophy. We want to establish a way we play, and yeah. that's what we carry want to carry on into this season. Because really, our our goals are not short term in that perspective. Our goals are long term. Yeah. We want to make this group into a well playing, well old machine team for next season. Yeah. Um, really, not just exactly this season. Right. 
And that's one of the, and that that's one of the positives with younger players. One, their resilience. You know, they don't let things maybe affect them mentally as much as older players do. You know, when you're coming into it fresh, you you accept the defeat better. You can look at it and think, right, there's there's lessons to learn. The development, you know, if you've got the technical guys there, then as a good coach as you are, you'll be able to mould them and get the team doing what you want. It does take time, but you know it. Similarly with us, you know, Brian, we've took over and we've we've come in with a new squad and we've had to kind of shape it over the season. But as the season goes on, slowly but surely, even if it's not always in the results, you know, I won't give too much away. But we had a game yesterday, um, and the performance was the best we've had. So from a coaching point of view, you look at that and you think, well, actually, you know, I'll take that today. Um, that's a positive. That's a step forward. But looking at the table, um, not to dis- not to uh, dampen your mood on, on on your holidays, but it's not looking. You know, it's not terribly. It's not. It's not so terrible at the moment. I mean, you're you're in the in the twelfth spot, which is the last relegation spot. But looking up at the table, Belvedere, there's just four points there, and you do have the two games in hand. I believe you've got to play other teams around you. I know we will be playing in a couple of weeks and Crocken Hill, um, you've got to play again as well. So there'll be like, you know, six pointers for you. But looking at the rate of points that the other teams are, are, are picking up, it's definitely all to play for, isn't it? And I think, you know, with a little turnaround, you could you could easily get over that mark. So I, I, I'm, I'm really com- comfortable knowing the squad that you have got and some of the players that you have around you that, you're you're more than capable of um, pulling it off. Yeah, I have no doubt in in these guys. And as you said, my my main goal is is to see them play better and better. So sometimes what you also get with with young players, I think, is the is a lack of consistency. So every now and then we can turn up and play a really great game. For example, last weekend we played Metrogas. Uh, we were we turned this around. We turned the match around from one nil down to three one up. And then we managed to manage to draw with them in the last uh, ten minutes. I think in the mm. last ten minutes we conceded one. One of our players get sent off. It, it happens, but it happens to to us as a young team because mm. uh, of a lack of experience, for example, and lack of game management. Yeah. We try to hurry things. You know, you reach back to your to your baseline of training, etc. And and then that's when things can go can go a little bit sideways. But again, the performance was was by far the best we have yeah. we have done this season, and we were incredibly proud to to have a point against Metrogas, who are arguably a really, really, really good team this year. So Absolutely. it was, you know, obviously before the game, if somebody said it's one point from this game, brilliant. With the performance that they showed, it was a little bit of a disappointment, majority for the guys, but they accept that this was a this was a really good game. And then the other week, you get something different. But uh, we are keep working on it. That's all we can Absolutely. do. I think the positives there are Metrogas. They're they're really they're a really fine side. I mean, they were third in the league up until the last set of fixtures, with several games in hand. You know, with their games in hand, there Metrogas are comfortably um, three games in hand on second place, just four points behind. So you're talking about a real title contender there. So if you're able to go away and play against them, lead the game, and only and be disappointed with a draw. The fact that you can get a point against a team like Metrogas for me, you know, it says if you play your game, you you're more than capable of of getting points against anybody. So that's definitely um, something to take away from that as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think we have we have full confidence in the squad. So both me and my uh, my assistant manager Patrick, who is who is um, a great guy, and he helps me a lot. We are we are both very passionate and very analytical about how we approach things. Um, we tried to change a lot of things at the beginning of the season, but as as just recently, I read a quote from Sean Dyche. I think he said some sometimes the the, the hardest thing to do is not change every anything. Uh, when you when you run into a set of resources, for example, that you don't like, but that's what we try to do now: not change anything and just make sure that we keep playing our our game and try to get better at it as much as possible, so that we can get it wrong. And that's when this this group of young lads will become formidable. But it will take time. Arguably, it will take time. However, they play against good teams, and that will just um, that will just give them the experience that eventually they can use to to win these games and not just draw them. Absolutely. And I'm sure that will come. Martin, all that's left for me to do is to thank you very much for joining us. I know you're on your holidays. I think it's my first uh, international interview live from uh, Italy <laughs> to the UK. So I really do appreciate your time, especially as you are away. Um, wish you all the best for the rest of the season. And we'll definitely catch up at the end and see how it's all gone for you, keeping everything crossed until that point. Perfect. Thank you, Mick, and thank you very much for, for having me. All the best and see you in a couple of weeks, I guess. Perfect. We'll see you soon. We'll look forward to that. Thanks again, Martin, and all the best with the rest of the season. So coming up now, let's go over the rest of the classified results from Kent County Division 1 West. Bexley 2, Crayford Arrows 1. I had that predicted as 3-1. So not too far off there. Club Langley 4, Dance and Sports nil. I had that down as a 2-2. So well done to Club Langley. Big three points there against a very tough dancing side. Equinocal 10, Crocken Hill nil. Again, I had that down as a 4-0. So that's a really impressive win for Equinocle. Um, Maybe tough times coming ahead for Crocken Hill um, with that kind of defeat. It'll be interesting to see how they bounce back from that one next week. Metrogas 1, Sporting Club Thamesmead 1. And my prediction for that game was 1-1. One, one. South East Athletic 0, Long Lane 4. I had that as a 2-2. Two, two. Welling Park 3, Ryden Ropes 2. And I did have that as a 2-2 two, two as well. So let's have a look now at the table and see how those recent results affect the standings. First place, Bexley, 16 played, 38 points. Second, Welling Park, 17 and 34 points. Then third place, up one, Equinocle, 16 played, 30 points. Then Metrogas, Club Langley, Danson Sports, Sporting Club Thamesmead, Crayford Arrows, Bryden Ropes, Belvedere, and in the relegation places, South East Athletic, followed by Crocken Hill. It really is looking like a tight table at both ends. I think it's fair to say anybody as far down as Club Langley, maybe Dance and Sports, are still within a shout if they get their form together to um, really put pressure on that second promotion place. And at the other end, uh, Belvedere, just above the relegation places on seven points, but from 17 games. So, Southeast Athletic on three points from 15, 
and Crockenhill on two points from 14, both with games in hand on Belvedere. So their fates very much are firmly in their own hands still. So let's have a look forward at next week's fixtures, the 11th of February 2023 for Kent County Division 1 West. Belvedere v Club Langley. I'm going to go with a 3-1 win to Club Langley there. Bexley v South East Athletic. Um, I think Bexley will just be too strong for South East, I'm afraid. So I'm going to have to go with a 3-0 home win. Bryden Rotes v Equinocchial. I won't uh, put a score down for this, but I'm predicting a good performance and hopefully that will bring the result that we expect from that. Crockenhill v Welling Park. I think Crockenhill now, they, they look a bit worrying to me. Um, we put six past them um, two weeks ago and they've let 10 in last week. So I think Welling Park, after playing them on Saturday, they are very sharp. So I'm going to have to go with regret Crockenhill uh, 7-0 to Welling Park. Uh, Metro Gas v Long Lane, um, two good sides, very strong um, teams. I would look at that as a one-all. Um, Sporting Club Thamesmead v Crayford Arrows. Again, I don't think there's much between the two teams there, so let's call that a 2 2. Um, there's a Kent Cup game between Dance and Sports and Red Velvet, who are in the uh, Kent Premier Division. I think Red Velvet are right up there at the very top of the division, second place at the moment. So I'm going to go for a 4 0 um, away win for Red Velvet for that one. So that brings to an end this week's episode. I really hope you enjoyed the show and hope that you might join us next week, which will include an interview with Ollie and Gary Pickett of Falconwood. Till then, have a good week in football. Searching for players? Searching for clubs? Find players and clubs near you right now on MatchHark. Playing football could never be easier. Download MatchHawk on Google Play or visit our website at matchhawk.com. Truly a great match, MatchHawk. This week's Selk podcast was brought to you by Down to Play, the simple app for next game availability.